If you guys enjoyed Roger playing the piano, I want to invite you to turn with, uh, not turn with us, uh, come back tonight uh, for our Advent services um, at 6 o'clock tonight, uh, singing some of our favorite Christmas hymns as part of our worship time with that. And so um, just really, um, really my heart's desire, uh, I said this last week, I'll say it again, is that we would just take some time this Christmas season and really focus on who Jesus is and what he came to do for us. Now, let me say this. Um, do come tonight be a part of our Advent services, but our Advent services will actually end on Christmas morning. Uh, if you have looked at your calendar, Christmas is on a Sunday this year, and so on Christmas morning we will have church. We will not have Sunday school. Y'all hear me? We will not have Sunday school, but we'll have church at 10 o'clock in here. So church, 10 o'clock in here on Christmas Sunday morning. Now, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12, would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word? We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. You'll find these similar words, and if you don't have your Bible, uh, words will be on the screen for you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith is what some of your Bibles may say, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Some of you are there this morning. You're weary, you're faint-hearted, your life is just beating you up. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplined. Now, notice this word. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it it yields the peaceable or the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, would you help us to not just to hear your word, Father. We've, we've heard it audibly just now. But, Lord, give us ears that we might understand it and apply it to our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and be seated. I've said this for what seems like a million times. We, we've been preaching, or I've been preaching, through the book of Hebrews for several months now. I'm going to preach this message today and then one message next Sunday. 
And, and then we'll be uh, Christmas Sunday after that. So two more messages out of the book of Hebrews. And you have to keep this in mind. If there's ever a Sunday that I want you to remember this, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of uh, believers that were being persecuted for their faith. They were being threatened. They, they were being ridiculed. They were being, their families were being threatened. And here's what they were saying. If you will quit believing in this Jesus and just go back to your old Jewish religion, all of the ridicule will be over. All of the pain, all of the heartache, all of those things will be over. They were, the people who the book of Hebrews was written to, they were facing difficult times. You see that very clearly. You don't see it in the English text. You see it in the, in the, in the Greek text in verse 1. It, you, we say this all the time. I've memorized this verse. At the end of verse 1, it says, Let us run with endurance, now here's the word, the race that is set before us. Here's the Greek word, and I bet you could guess what the English word is that we get in our English language. The Greek word is agon. If you were to try to guess an English word that corresponds with the Greek word agon, what would you say? Agony. That's exactly right. It's, that's the exact point that the author is trying to get you to understand here in verse, in verse 1. You run with endurance the race, and sometimes the race that you run, the life that you live, it is going to be an agonizing painful, difficult life that you go through. In fact, this Greek word agon, uh, some scholars will tell you uh, that it's, it, they were pointing to some type of Olympic-style games that they called the pentathlon, a series of five events uh, that, that the Olympians, I'll call them, would have to go through. The very last event that everyone would have to go through would be a, some type of a a UFC boxing-style match. Uh, they would get finished with their top four events, and then they would strap leather around their hands to protect their hands. But, man, you would do some damage to somebody else's face with these leather-style gloves. Can, can you imagine Gabby Douglas and Michael Phelps competing in the Olympics, and, and then they get finished with, with four events, and they say, all right, Gabby, put your, put your gloves on. All right, Michael, take off your trunks, swimming trunks, and, and put some gloves on, you're going to the ring. That, that's what they went through. It was agonizing. It was hard. It was very difficult to complete, compete in the pentathlon. And that's what the author of Hebrews, that's what God is saying that our life sometimes is like. It's difficult. And that's where some of you are. That's why I stopped a little while ago when I was reading this text. Life is difficult. It's hard agonizing. That's where you are right here today. And I believe from the depths of my heart that God has a word for you this morning. And if you don't find yourself in this just agonizing moment of life, man, you take out your pen, you take out your pencil, you take notes because there's coming a day you're going to be there. Life is going to catch up to every single one of us at some point in time. And this morning you can write these down and, and hopefully you can just stick them in your Bible and you can refer back to them at some point. But this text points out several things that we can do when, when life is just agonizing, when life just is not making sense, when, 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 when life is just being really difficult. What do we do in the midst of those difficult times? And here's the first thing this text points us to. 
It says to look, look back, look, look to the past believers. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 1, it begins with this word, therefore. So, therefore, in this case, it's pointing us back to, to Hebrews chapter 11. And if you've read, if you've even uh, read the book of Hebrews at all or been in, in Sunday school, uh, grew up in Sunday school, you, you know that Hebrews 11, we looked at it last week, it's referred to as the Hall of Faith. Uh, it's, the, it's the chapter where you look at all these great men and women of faith. And what he's saying is, in the midst of those difficult times, you look to the example of those who have gone on before you and remember how God ministered to them. Now, this we, we pointed this out last week, and it's, it's so crucial that you understand it this week. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, here's what you find, especially like in verses 32 through 38. Some of those ladies and gentlemen, they God used them in miraculous ways to do great things. I mean, stop through the mouths of lions, uh, conquering, uh, winning great wars. I mean, just doing great things. Women received their children raised back to life. But then it also talks about those who were sown in two. Those who suffered great, great persecution. And here's what God is saying in Hebrews 11. Both. Those who, who, who got their answer, their prayers answered the way they wanted, and those who, who died for their faith, both of them have a faith that you and I need to imitate. Great men and women of faith. And here's what that tells you. And guys, please hear this. A couple of great statements in the midst of this. You just got to grasp. Listen to this. What that tells us is that the outcome of our situations does not determine whether or not we have great faith. Do you catch that? The outcome of your situation does not determine whether or not you have great faith. That's what these Old Testament saints are teaching us. What determines whether or not we have great faith is whether or not we are steadfastly obedient to Christ in the middle of our situations. You know, sometimes here's what we do. We have a tendency to, to read a, a chapter like Hebrews 11, and we, we epitomize these people as, as people who have great faith. And you say, preacher... Of course they had great faith. They had it all figured out. No, they didn't. They were people just like you and I. How many of you have read the book of Job? Just by show of hands. There's a good number of you that have read the book of Job. How many of you have heard about the book of Job? Maybe you've heard about the book of Job. Uh, Job suffered a lot of things. He, he lost all of his children, lost all of his possessions, lost all of this. And you kind of get... Uh, to the uh, to the end of the book of Job. And here's what Job says. Now, Job is somebody we put up on a pedestal, right? Job is somebody we say, hey, he had great faith. And you get towards the end of the book of Job, and Job basically says something like this, God, this don't make sense to me. God, I, I don't understand. And God says something like this, Job, when you can speak and create a universe, when, when, when you know, when you have a mind that knows all of eternity, then, Job, maybe you and I can, can talk just a little bit. And Job died. At the end of the book, Job dies, and he never really understood all that was going on in his life. And so here's a great statement for you to think about. And I think it's going to be on the screen. I can't remember. If not, just write it down. If you require earthly validation for your faith, you'll never make it. If you require 
to know all of the answers, if every situation has to work out just the way you want it, if you want everything to go just according to the way you want it to go, you're not going to make it as a follower of Christ. There will be times when you simply don't understand. There will be times when life doesn't make sense. And in those times, what you do is you look back to those who have gone before you and you have to realize, it's okay if I don't know it all. That's, that's what these Old Testament saints teach us, Miss Linda, that it's okay that if, if we don't have all of our questions answered. And so those Old Testament saints in Hebrews chapter 11, they're all around us. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And here's their say something like this. I know it doesn't make sense now, and it didn't to us either. But you can know that in all of our trials, God was working even when we didn't understand it because he was bringing something out of us far beyond what we could see. We couldn't see it, but you can see it now. And so we stand as witnesses to you that God is working in your pain. He is working in you now, just like he was working in us then. And he is bringing to pass a greater plan than what you realize. Man, what do you do when life throws you a curveball? You look back to those past believers and you say, God, they were faithful. They didn't understand it all. But if I'll just remain steadfastly obedient, if I'll just do what God's called me to do, those Old Testament saints teach me that I'll be okay. But now here's the second thing. You don't just look to back to those Old Testament saints. This text points us, it says now, but you don't just look past to the saints, but you look ahead to the Father. Now in verses 5 through 11, the author begins to switch illustrations from that of a race to that of a fatherly clique care and he describes the actions of a dad in two different metaphors the first one is that of a coach you see it well it doesn't come first in the text it's just one i'm going to point out first you see it at the end of verse 11 okay it talks remember the discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those now here's the word who have been trained by it that word trained there it's it's gymnazo well, let me just say this. It's where we get our English word gymnasium, okay? So there is a sense in which your life is a gym that God is using to mature you and grow you in your faith. Now, if you can catch this, this is going to help you. You understand that in order for your muscles to grow, in order for your muscles to get stronger, you have to first do what? Tear them down, right? You gotta, you gotta stretch them. You gotta, you gotta work them. You have to tear them down. That don't make sense. I remember when I was in high school, when I was a, uh, a smaller version of myself. When I was a more athletic version of myself, when we used to, when I, I used to lift weights from seventh grade up until I graduated high school, lift weights just about every single day of my life. I know you can't tell it. I don't laugh. Okay. But we used to do these things, Phil, called plus one. And so say if we were doing three sets of ten, on our last set, instead of doing ten, Neil, you would do as many as you could. Okay? And then when you've done every single rep that you can do, when your arms feel like spaghetti, when they feel like jello, when you feel like you're not even grasping the bar, you do one more. And I'm telling you, you feel like the guy who is spotting you is, is, is doing every single bit of the lifting. 
But in reality, you're doing the large part of it. He's really, you can, he could really do it with two fingers on each hand and help you up. Now, in reality, did it feel like I was getting stronger? Absolutely not. It felt like I could barely lift my arms. I'm thinking, here I am trying to get stronger. I can't even, I can't even feel like I can lift a, a piece of bread. But in reality, me tearing down my arms, the muscles and the biceps and the triceps in my arms, it was making me stronger. My coaches knew that. And so they would push us, even when we didn't like it, even when we, when we didn't want it, because they knew that it was making us stronger. Now catch this. God, as your heavenly coach, will do the same thing in the area of your faith. You see, faith is a lot like our muscles. Our muscles, our faith doesn't grow until it is stretched. And you need to know that you have a good coach that will stretch you so that you can be conformed into the image of Christ. Now see, here's why we need that good heavenly coach. Because here's our tendency as followers of Christ. We put our faith in Jesus for our salvation, but then we want to go out and we want to do everything in our own power in our walk with Jesus. And here's what God as our heavenly coach is going to do. He is going to tear us down in our own power so that he can build us up in the power of Christ so that we can be conformed into the image of Christ. You see that? He's going to tear us down in our power so that he can raise us up in the power of Christ. But he's not only a coach, he's also a daddy. You say, why does he switch metaphors from a coach to a daddy? Because when life isn't making sense to you, when you're going through a difficult time, you don't need a coach. You need a daddy. You need somebody whose lap you can crawl up in. You need somebody whose arms will embrace you. You need somebody that is going to to love you in the midst of that. In verses 5 through 11, they they use the the earthly imagery of parenting to teach us a little bit about how God treats us. Nine times in these verses, between verses 5 and 11, we read about discipline. The discipline of a father to a child and the discipline of God to us. I want to make a confession. When I first started studying this passage this week, I had this thought about these verses. God, I could understand your discipline if you could show me where I've messed up. Think that? God, show show me where I've messed up and I can understand your discipline. Because in my eyes, you, you guys see this? In my eyes, when I think about discipline, I think about how I treat my children and most of the time, discipline is, is I discipline them when they've messed up. And that's the way I viewed discipline. And I'm like, God, if, if you're disciplining me, tell me where I've messed up. And then Tim Keller, he really helped me kind of grasp this, this idea and helped me to understand this passage. This, this word that is used for discipline, nine times in these verses, it's where we get our English word pediatrician. It's the Greek word pedia. When you go to a pediatrician, you know what he's concerned about, he or she? He's concerned about the health of your child. Nothing more, nothing less. I took Joshua and Savannah uh, for, for wellness uh, checkups a, a few weeks ago uh, in November. You know what the pediatrician was concerned about? How healthy they were. In fact, he was so concerned about their health, you know what he did? He hurt them. <laughs> How did he hurt them? He stuck a needle in their arm. It didn't feel good, did it? Oh, you're going to be tough. Don't worry about it. Okay? 
he gave them a shot, made them uncomfortable, because he knew that the benefits of being uncomfortable for a moment was going to help them down the road. And you see, this, this idea of discipline here in, this, in our English text, it doesn't do justice to what God is trying to teach us about discipline. Because when you think about discipline from an earthly parent perspective, I'm showing you my sinfulness in the, in, in the midst of this right now. You know what? We, how we should be disciplining as parents? To correct their character. Oftentimes, our discipline is only kind of like punishment. Paying them back. They've messed up, so I've got to do something to make sure they don't do that again. And God doesn't work that way. And God works so that he can strengthen us along and along and along. Think about it this way. Um, somebody made this analogy, and it fit perfectly with, with Leanne and I and some of the ways we do things. So we're just throwing our lives out there, baby. Everybody can know what we're doing. When our kids go to the pool, especially when they're younger, Phil, I thought about you this week. When our kids were babies and they go to the pool, you know what a, a mama's love wants to do? Hold them. You know what I want to do? I want to dump him underwater at six months old. Phil Woolard, this guy up here, was the first one who dumped Asher underwater at like six months old. Your fault. <laughs> Is it because I don't love my children? No. It's just a different way in which we love. She has a motherly, tenderly care to come here and let me protect them. I have a fatherly love that says, let me push them out so that they can stretch themselves. Come on, you can swim. You can swim. I don't need to grab you. You can do it. Just keep trying. I'm not trying to be mean to them. I'm just trying to, to get them to try harder. Am I the only man in here? I got some ladies that are looking at me like I'm sorry, okay? Am I the only man? Okay, there's other men that will do that too. It's just the difference in the love. And sometimes you've got... This, this is a good thing. Sometimes we view God as kind of like a heavenly pinata, and, and we've got this fate stick that we can hit that pinata and we can get whatever we want. And God's just kind of like this big guy in the sky that we have faith he can give us whatever we want. But sometimes the love of God is to make us uncomfortable because he's going to stretch us in our walk with him. He loves us as a, as a father. We need to understand that in our life. Jesus made this analogy. He said, we are like the, the vines. He is the vine, we are the branches. If we remain in him, the Father who loves us, he'll prune us, he'll cut us back in order that we could bear more fruit. And here's what happens. The Father will cut you and expose areas of your life where you are not trusting him, or it could be areas that are potential downfalls in your life. He prunes us, he, he cuts things off. Look at verse 1. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin. That's so easily entangled. Here's the, here's the idea. Most of us in this room don't struggle with sin. Some of you do. And what the text is saying is you've got to get rid of the sin in your life. Maybe the lust or, or, or the, the pride or, or the thievery or whatever you put there. Okay? Most of you struggle with the weights. You know what weights are? Weights are the good things that you've made into idols in your life. You see, when you think about the Olympics, 
You ever seen Michael Phelps get up to the, the little stand where he's about to dive into the pool and he's got a beard, like a long flowing beard? You ever seen any Olympian do that? Or maybe just long, poofy hair just out to the side, not tucked in? Or in blue jeans? You don't see them do that. You know why? It's not illegal, but it doesn't help their cause. It's, it's a way that's going to entangle them and keep them from, from winning the prize. And that's what this text is saying. You've got to lay aside even the good things if it's going to keep you from the best things that are offered to you in Christ. Here's a good one. Social media. Some of you have an hour a day to get on Facebook and Twitter or Snapchat, but you don't have 15, 20 minutes that you can spend in a quiet time with Jesus. It's a weight that is keeping you tied down in your walk with Jesus. Keep this in mind as you look to the Father in hard times. He is working in your situation for your good, verse 10, that we may share in His holiness. He is working to get His greatness and His glory into our soul. And I'll say this before moving on. I know what time it is. If you don't receive his discipline as little children, you're going to get prideful, you're going to get angry, and you're not going to make it. We have a good father that we can trust. And then very quickly, here's the last thing. And I saved it for the, begin, for the end because it's so good. We look to Jesus. Look back to the saints, look ahead to the Father, but we keep our eyes focused on our Savior. Now here's what this text says in verse 2. It says that Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, the author and the finisher of our faith, now here's the phrase, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I've memorized this verse. I've quoted this verse many times. But I've never really thought about this verse in this context. The joy that was set before him. Now, now just think about this for a moment. What was the only joy that Jesus did not have before he came to earth? I mean, the angels worshipped him. He had all of creation at his disposal. What was the one thing Jesus did not have before he came to earth? Us. He didn't have us. And in his pain and suffering, in his agony of going to the cross, of having his, his hands nailed to a cross of wood, having his feet nailed to a cross of wood, having his his, his, his clothes stripped and his back beaten and bloodied. But it was my joy to do this so that I could gain you guys. For the joy that he had, he went to the cross. In his suffering, he said, this is my joy. Now, here's what Jesus says to us. In your suffering, what you need to do is seek me. In my suffering, I sought you. In your suffering, you need to seek me. Let your joy be found in me. Someone said it this way. People of faith, people of, of Christ, we are those who are consumed by the vision of eternity in Christ and we gladly give up our lives here for the joy of what we will obtain there. Faith is living in a way that 100 years from now you'll be glad that you did. Say, so why would you give up our hobbies? Why would we give up those good things? Why would we give up our possessions? Why would we make a sacrificial gift to give to our, uh, towards the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? Why would we give to Haiti? Why would we give to Toronto? Because 
that our joy has changed. It's no longer about what we have. It's about what we've been given in Christ. And the greatest joy we have is seeking His pleasure, not our own. And here's what the text says. Four times you read this word endurance between verses 1 and 7. This word endurance, it means to, to not budge from doing the right thing. What do you do in the midst when life is not making sense? You keep doing what you know you should do. You don't budge. You don't turn from that. You keep on doing what God has called you to do. And you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and don't budge. The very first message I ever preached was on David and Bathsheba. And really how, how we respond as followers of Christ when, when we mess up. And I'll never forget this story as it was told. I read it in a magazine, so I'm assuming it's a true story. Never been to the Special Olympics, but it was on what happened in the Special Olympics. It speaks of what happens when uh, some of the Special Olympics children uh, line up in a race. They've got people all around them that are helping them accomplish the task. As they start off, as, as you can just imagine, there, there's people in the stands, right? I mean, you're just going to be cheering them on, right? I mean, hey, go, you can do this, you can do this. But they not only have people in the stands, they've got assigned people that run specifically beside each and every contestant, encouraging them. And then, Don, for each and every runner that they have, they've got an assigned person that is going to be at the finish line of that race. Now, if that is not a picture of you and I, I don't know what it is, friends. That's exactly what this text is saying to us this morning. Because you see, just like those kids in that race, you and I are in a race. It's a life. Sometimes it's very difficult. And what Hebrews 12 is saying, at some point in time during this race, you've got to listen to the crowd that is around you. We're, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, these people who have gone before us. We, we need to listen to them and learn from their example. Then as we're running this race, much like those kids, you know what we're tempted to do? I don't want to look straight ahead. Well, I want to look over here, and that looks enticing. Satan will do that. So you're, you've got a spirit of God walking beside you. It's going to keep drawing you back. No, you don't need to go that way. No, that's going to lead you down a path. Let's cut this off. And the spirit of God is going to keep reminding you, keep your eyes focused on the winner. Because here's what the scriptures say to us. At the end of every finish line, Jesus is standing there. And if you're a follower of Christ, the words you want to hear are welcome home by good and faithful servants. When life doesn't make sense, what you need to do is keep your eyes focused on the stage that you're on. Keep your eyes focused on Him. You turn anywhere else, you're going to get distracted. Life's going to beat you down. It's not going to make sense. It's just going to mess you up. If you can keep your eyes focused on Him, 
your faith is going to increase. You're going to realize that everything's going to be okay. It might not make sense, but it's going to be okay. Let's pray together. Father, Would you move during our invitation? Father, if there's anybody in this place who doesn't know you, then Lord, today, would they be gripped by the fact that Jesus joyfully died for them? And Lord, would they come today asking Jesus to be their Savior? And Lord, I pray for the person today that's struggling. Life is not making sense to them. Lord, life is beating them up. And God, you're, you have spoken to their heart. You have ministered to them through your spirit. And God, today, they need to get on their face before you. And just today, Lord, surrender that situation to you. So, Father, in this time, may Jesus move as he sees fit. In his name I pray. Amen. The word's going to be on the screen or in the hymn book. The word's going to be on the screen. Be glad to stand with us. The Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. You come and you respond as the Spirit is leading you.